What's up guys? So today is a special video. You're going to see the Greg Doucette and me come out because I know it's gonna to lead to some ranting. I am going to be reviewing a product, a book actually, by Tom Brady, the TV12 method. Even for those of you who have no interest in football or sports, I think you're really gonna like this video. It's gonna to touch on topics specific to the book as well as generally these concepts that he puts out and people like that put out and we're gonna do a full review here, the good and the bad, so let's get into it. If you like this kind of content, make sure to smash the like button, subscribe to the channel and comment down below your thoughts. It really helps the channel. So I have to say, seeing this book, it was honestly like a wake up call to me that I've kind of been away from what is put out to the general population because I follow a lot of the you know evidence-based crowd and so I look at studies and I listen to people who also look at the studies and have a lot of in-depth you know real world experience too but to see this kind of stuff that's out there it's a reminder like wow you know general population that doesn't have a background in this they could be sold almost anything and they're really not going to know what's kind of nonsense and what's legitimate. So while this video is certainly meant to be entertaining, it's also meant to be informational for people who don't really know where they're going or people who have come across this book who want to know if what he's espousing is legitimate. So of course, I'm going to talk about genetics to some degree here. And Tom Brady kind of starts this by saying that he doesn't have great genetics, you know, that he was never this great athlete and he was able to use these methods to become the best of the best. But let's ignore the fact that he was a star baseball player, football player, and basketball player in high school. And that in 1985, as a high school student, he was 6'4", 220 pounds, and was drafted into the MLB. And the general manager of the team he was drafted to said that he could be one of the greatest catchers of all time. Now, he obviously did not decide to go to baseball. He ended up going to football. But to have somebody tell you as a high schooler, that you are gonna go into the MLB and be one of the best ever, obviously entails some amazing genetics. So, I mean, we see this all the time, right? Every bodybuilder, every person says that it's due to their work ethic or their secret method. They rarely wanna give credit to luck or talent, genetics, and things like that. So I think we should kind of lay that out there just so that people understand that just because somebody has a story that, well, I don't have genetics and it was all hard work, doesn't mean it's true. And you don't become a star athlete like that with bad genetics. It just doesn't happen. Now, one of the things I love is that he says, well, this method must work because one, look at my success. And two, I've been getting better throughout my 30s and athletes don't get better into their 30s. Now, I can think of some athletes who did get better into their 30s. Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, Lance Armstrong. I mean, of course, he would never take performance-enhancing drugs. Of course not. Of course not. Of course not. But maybe if you're paid millions of dollars to perform at the top of the top of your sport, you're gonna do anything you can. But maybe, <laughs> maybe. And of course he wouldn't wanna jeopardize his health and take substances that could harm him that would not look good for his credibility. No, of course not. But maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe. When you're in a sport that has an extreme level of competition, probably the most competition out of any sport in the world, you'll do whatever it takes to be the best. And people who get to that level have the mindset that they will do whatever it takes. All right, so let's start off by getting into the good that is in this book. 
All right, so now we're gonna get into what I thought was bad about this book. Don't worry, I will circle back and actually get to some of the stuff that I did find good about this book. I do think there are some general principles that we can glean from it and that you can take away and actually implement. So Tom Brady talks about how the TB12 method is his secret to success, but he also talks about how it is very customized to the individual and that if you want good results, you need a certified TB12 specialist which right away makes me wonder then who is this book for? Because 99% of the people who are going to be reading this book are not gonna have access to a TB12 specialist. And he literally says you will get limited results if you don't use one of their specialists. And the problem with something like that is that he can then fall back on that if anybody ever claims that they didn't get good results. You know, it's like any sort of scheme out there that needs, you have to hit this level and this level and this level to really know the truth about it and to really get the best results. Anybody who hasn't hit that, you can then say, well, the next level will be better for you. Once you buy this product, it's gonna be great. Once you're at this certification, then it's really when the results happen. He even mentions that his work is his life and that being a quarterback is his work and that he spends four hours a day training or doing what he calls pliability training, which we're gonna get into. So again, how realistic is that for people reading this book? Now, if you're just reading this book to know what makes Tom Brady, Tom Brady, sure, but he puts it out there basically as a prescription of something to use while also saying that it takes up hours and hours of his life every day. So the crux of his training implementation is called pliability training. Now, he talks about it as if it's this kind of magical thing. And again, you can only get it done properly with a TB12 specialist. But really, it's deep tissue work, right? It's, it's soft tissue, stuff like ART, active release technique, uh, Graston. This is not new. And the research on it is a little fuzzy. Some evidence shows that it can be helpful. Others show that it, it's really not helpful, that there's a big placebo effect to it. I'm actually open to the idea that it can be helpful. Uh, it seems to have been helpful for me, but again, I'm just one person. It's hard to really tell, but I'm open to the idea that it can be helpful. But again, he acts like it, pliability training is the only thing that can work. He talks about how pliability can extend somebody's career indefinitely. And it's like, dude, I get it. Like you're in your low 40s. It's not like you're 63 years old. I mean, the average quarterback age is something like 35. George Blanda somehow made it to be 48 before he retired from the NFL. And I don't think he ever heard about pliability training. Now, obviously 43, which he is now, not at the time of writing the book, is definitely above average for a quarterback and it's impressive. But to say that this is going to make your career indefinite, it's almost not even worth mentioning how ridiculous that sounds. Now he has somebody he works with, his pliability coach, Alex, who does a lot of this stuff for him, as he mentions quite often in the book. For example, Alex and I decided to work on it differently through pliability training over the next three weeks. After lengthening and softening my right groin muscle, the tension was removed from my tendon and I felt zero pain. I mean, look, it's great that you're not in pain when Alex is lengthening and softening your groin. I just don't think that's for me. Some of these things, I actually have to read the quote because it just sounds so silly. He talks about 100% muscle pump function. And the only way to fire at 100% is to get to 100% muscle pump function. So I'm gonna read a quote here. The only way a normal strength athlete can absorb force is by making his muscles tight, dense, and stiff. They can't disperse force properly because they're already contracted, which means they don't have the ability to absorb any extra stress. I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. Second, they're working alone rather than as a system. And then he goes into a whole bit about long, soft, primed muscle contraction. 
What is a long, soft, primed muscle contraction? What is that? And how can you say that people with tight, dense muscles are only gonna be able to use certain muscles and they're not gonna work as a system. Literally, you could do a bicep curl, an isolation exercise like a bicep curl, and it's going to involve the biceps brachii, the brachialis, the brachioradialis, forearm flexors. There's no way to isolate that single muscle. And that's with an isolation exercise that's extremely controlled, not even to mention being on a football field and getting tackled. There's no way it's going to just be one muscle. So to act like pliability training is the secret to having your muscles work together. It's just like, where is this information coming from? He even says that tight, stiff, dense muscles are a source of chronic inflammation. I think of Lane Norton, citation, please. Like, can we have some evidence for these claims? He talks about unhealthy muscles. I mean, what is an unhealthy muscle? Does this person have myosarcoma? Are they dying? Like, what is going on here? Another quote, pliability causes full muscle pump function and oxygenation. And then he delves into why the lack of that is why athletes begin to feel old. And by doing pliability training, you will stop feeling that way. So apparently lack of pliability is why people begin to feel old. He doesn't talk about reduced collagen, reduced muscle protein synthesis. He doesn't talk about a lot of the other factors that go into aging. It's all about this pliability and that's the secret to being young. He does say that when you do your stuff at home, which of course is gonna be reduced effectiveness, you have to use a sphere or foam roller that vibrates because the vibration is the only way you're going to activate the nervous system. I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt and say maybe he means that you're gonna have more sympathetic nervous system activation compared to parasympathetic, but does not go into anything about why vibration is the only way to do this. But he does say, the only way our bodies store positive and intentional trauma is with nervous system activation during pliability training. Like, I just, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> where he's going with this stuff. I think you guys are hopefully getting where I'm going with this stuff. I mean, there's just a lack of evidence for a lot of his claims. So just last two points here regarding the training aspect. And like I said, this is gonna be a long video because we're going into everything. He says, squatting with a 400 pound weight will only get you better at squatting with a 400 pound weight. He's basically against heavy training. He really only does band training, which we all love here. By saying that squatting with 400 pounds will only get you better at 400 pound squatting is like saying that pliability training will only get you better at more pliability training or that the only way to get better at throwing a football is by throwing a football. It's not that specific. Specificity of the training is important, but there's a lot of carryover and his entire book goes into how this method and this and this gets him to be a better quarterback. And for those interested, squat strength correlates with vertical jump height, speed, obviously overall strength and muscle mass. If you look at like even in the elderly, it correlates with different health markers. Obviously improved bone density is another one. So, I mean, I think people on this channel realize that there's a lot of other benefits to heavier lifting. I'm not saying that you have to do one rep maxes. Of course, I almost never do one rep maxes. I used to when I was significantly younger. And that is one thing he talks about is as you age, and we'll get into that with the good aspects of the book. But to say that getting significantly stronger on these big exercises doesn't have any other benefit is really just silly. So one more quote before we move on to some of the nutrition stuff. I wear bioceramic infused functional sleepwear to recover while sleeping, improve energy, and improve performance.
The problem with this stuff, and I'm sure somebody who maybe is not familiar with the channel might comment, well, this is Tom Brady. How can you dispute what he says? He has so much success, and that's great. I'm sure, I mean, he is one of the best quarterbacks ever. I'm sure, I mean, he's a tremendous athlete, incredible work ethic, and I'm sure he does a lot of things right. But you can still do a lot of things right and then add on a few things that don't do anything, you'll still get the great results. This is like yoked up bodybuilders who have been training for 30 years, who have been using gear for 15 years, and have been consistent with training, nutrition, sleep, hard work for years and years and years, and then they'll sit there and they'll talk to you about how the secret to their massive pecs is the slow contraction on the way up. And it's like, dude, like that is not the reason <laughs> that you're at where you're at. It might be a small, small, small factor, but that is not the difference between you and other people. So for some reason, Tom Brady has an obsession with hydration, saying that he thinks he's more hydrated than almost anybody else. He constantly talks about how important it is to drink and drink and drink more water, and importantly, while always drinking electrolytes with basically everything. Now, I'm all for being hydrated. Obviously, true dehydration is a problem, but it's not that easy to be very dehydrated. That is not a very common thing to happen unless you're completely ignoring your thirst signals. He gets very silly when he says that water in other beverages, such as coffee and tea, do not count towards water requirements, meaning that if you have an eight ounce cup of water and you drop a tea bag into it, all of a sudden it is no longer hydrating. But it gets even better because he says that any other beverage, coffee, tea, alcohol, anything that is not just pure water requires that you then drink an additional two ounces of water per ounce of that fluid. Meaning that if you were to have eight ounces of that tea, you now need to go get 16 ounces more water to balance that out. So don't ever have coffee or tea basically because then you'll just be peeing all day by all of the other fluid that you have to drink to make up for it, which makes no sense because coffee and tea do not have much of a diuretic effect. If you get decaf, they have almost no diuretic effect. So again, no physiological basis for that at all. No evidence to support that at all. He even suggests that carbonated water, so seltzer water, is dehydrating. And I believe he says that same rule applies. So any carbonated water, that doesn't count at all. And you have to drink more water on top of that. Perhaps the most ludicrous example was when he says that he feels he does not get sunburn anymore because of water. So apparently he drinks so much water that it just coats his body with SPF 50 and he can go out in the sun for hours and not get sunburn. Please don't do that. Overhydration can actually be an issue. You can have hyponatremia if you are just guzzling water, okay? I mean, unless you are like, again, a super athlete out there all the time, sweating, 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 you do not need to be chugging water constantly. Your body has signals to tell you to drink more. And there are actually studies showing that water is not inferior to, let's say a Gatorade or something with electrolytes or like a milk beverage, things like that. You can just drink normal water. It doesn't have to have tons of electrolytes in it all the time and normal amounts and your body will get back to a normally hydrated state. I hope you guys are still with me because this is probably gonna be my longest solo video. I did go through the whole book, so we have a lot here. Now we're gonna talk about the nutrition aspect. And a lot of this stuff, I think you guys know, he talks about having alkalizing foods, not eating acidifying foods. Again, 
I mean, this is like when I got into this in like 2005, this stuff was already debunked. So I'm amazed that this is still going on there. He says things like don't combine carbs and fats in the same meal. Again, I mean, like John Berardi was talking about this on T Nation back maybe 2005 to 2010. And even he has come around and said that, you know what, like that's kind of nonsense and it's not really true. No evidence to support it. No reason that you need to be separating different macros like that, okay? Protein and fat and carbs all together is totally fine. You are not gonna change the acidity of your body by having acidifying and alkalizing foods. Your pH is maintained very, very tightly. And if it was not in that range, you would die. So <laughs> please don't worry about that. I love that he has so much emphasis on natural unprocessed foods, how you should just avoid anything that's not a whole food ingredient. And then he sells his TB12 bars that have chocolate chips in them. And then he reads ingredients off of other products saying how they're so bad by naming the chemical name. So he goes through and he says, oh, ascorbic acid and turmeric. Well, guess what? Ascorbic acid is vitamin C. So you're on here talking about how important vitamins are, but then to scare people, you say, don't have this stuff, it's got ascorbic acid in it. You could do the same thing with his products. Back to his TB12 bars, in addition to the chocolate chips that he's got in them, he's got dihydrogen monoxide and caprylic acid. It sounds scary until you realize that it's water and a component of coconut oil. He talks about the importance of eating within half an hour and that it's really crucial after working out to eat within a half an hour. I don't think that's that bad of a recommendation, especially if you have a really long workout and you didn't eat before the workout, then yeah, I definitely would try to eat as soon as possible. But if you had a meal beforehand or your workout is on the order of an hour to 90 minutes, if you eat an hour later, not a big deal. One of the most hilarious contradictions to me is that he's talking about electrolytes, add electrolytes, add electrolytes. Every time I'm drinking, I'm having electrolytes. And then he says, avoid salt. I don't even think Tom realizes the contradiction in those statements. All right, so that was a lot, but I did go through the whole book and I honestly had to stop every 10 minutes to write this stuff down. And I left out quite a bit. I mean, you guys got the general point, but I left out a significant amount. So let's talk about some of the good because obviously I don't think everything in there was bad. I think, you know, if you look at almost any book, there's good and bad. You know, I mean, Mark Hyman's got stuff out there that's totally ridiculous, but some of the advice is really good. There's even that guy like medical medium or whatever craziness is out there, but even then there's some generally good advice, just the reason behind it is, is not sound. So some of the good that I actually agree with, we'll get into. Regarding his genetics, I think it's fair to say that he doesn't have the best genetics. The thing is, everybody in the NFL has elite genetics, meaning that for football, they have 99th percentile genetics, right? If you compare it to the world population, they are easily gonna be better than 99% of people randomly selected. But it is certainly possible that he is competing against people with 99.9th percentile genetics. And so I think it's a generally good story. He did actually have to overcome obstacles you know it's not like when he was playing college football he was starting the whole time he had to work hard and it's a generally good story about coming up and overcoming obstacles and having an extremely successful career i actually enjoyed going through the first half of the book before he gets into some of his recommendations because it's just a story about his career his life if you have any interest in that it's worth reading and i do agree that how you train can have a huge impact on the longevity of your career you know i mean you look at like a bodybuilder like branch warren and he was massive, he was super successful, 
but he trained, I mean, it was, it was crazy. His form was, you know, all over the place and he got a lot of injuries. He got hurt, he had to retire from those injuries. And I do think form is very important. I do think doing what you can to lower your injury potential is very important. I'm not against stretching. I'm not against soft tissue work. If you find that it works for you, again, the evidence is a little mixed. I wouldn't say there's super strong evidence Like you, for instance, would not necessarily wanna be as flexible as possible, but you also wouldn't wanna to be totally inflexible. So I think it makes sense to do things to lower your injury potential, of course. I like that he states it's important to have an individualized approach, that when it comes to strength training, nutrition, based on your age, your sport, your history of injuries, I think it's important to individualize your approach to what's working for you and what will work for you in the future. And I think his general nutrition recommendations are reasonable. You know, I think it is good to be hydrated. His actual numbers for how much water to drink aren't ridiculous. You know, he'll say, I think it's half an ounce per pound of body weight. So that's not ridiculous at all. Now that's a minimum. He says he will sometimes double that, but the actual numbers aren't absurd. It's just his strong emphasis on it over and over and over again. He talks about having a generally plant-based diet to get sufficient vitamins and minerals. And, and all of that is great, of course. He discusses the importance of mindset, mental health, sleep, recovery, not just following advice blindly. All of that is great. I mean, we talk about that on the channel all the time, that you shouldn't just follow advice blindly, hence this review of this book. I think it's good that he mentions that the older you get and the stronger you get, the more cautious you're probably gonna have to be. Most people cannot train at 40 the same way they trained when they were 20, right? You are going to become more prone to injuries. You're not gonna be recovering as quickly. So I think those are solid points. And finally, I do agree that you should finish eating several hours before bed as he recommends that it's kind of a standard recommendation. You don't wanna have this big meal and then go right to sleep. It's gonna often affect your sleep. Uh, circadian rhythms can be thrown off there. So I agree with that as well. So guys, that was my in-depth, very long, very ranty review. I hope you guys liked it. If you did, make sure to smash the like button, subscribe to the channel for more like this, and comment down below what you did or did not agree with and what you'd like to see reviewed next. Thanks again, guys, and I will see you next time.